we're in Shmuel Bet chapter two, and we saw the first 16 verses or so. And basically this chapter is a civil war between Jews, between the house of David and the house of Saul. Even though Saul isn't around anymore, Avner Bener, who is Saul's captain of the host, he's a very influential, powerful individual. He has taken Ishboshet and made him king over almost all of Israel, except for Hebron. David is still king over Hebron and Yehuda. He's got one tribe, but Ishboshet has got all the rest. Now, what happened was that as Avner Bener was crowning Ishboshet over each of these places, he arrives at a place called Givon, which is in Binyamin, but it's getting close to the territory of Yehuda. And from Yoav's point of view, it's too close for comfort. And so Yoav, the captain of the host of David, comes out with his guys and meets Avner and his men at the pools of Givon. And what we saw in the previous shiur, Avner challenged Yoav. He said, Yishaku and Arim, let the lads play before us. And what began as a sham battle developed into an all-out war between the two camps. These are two groups who don't like each other. And there's a history and hostility between them. And now with Yoav and Avner confronting one another, the situation escalates. You see, Avner and Yoav are really very similar, even though they're on different teams, they don't like each other. They're the same kind of person. That's why when Avner suggested Yishakku and Arim, let the lads play, Yoav didn't refuse. He's the same way. They're both very brave, very daring, and their most prominent quality is their loyalty. Avner is fiercely loyal to the house of Saul, as we see, he's propping it up. And we'll see throughout that Yoav is always a zealot for the house of David. Not necessarily David himself. He's not gonna listen to David a lot of times, but for Malchut David, for the kingdom of David, he's a zealot. He'll always try to do what he thinks is right for David's kingdom. And so when these two meet up, Avner and Yoav, it's going to be a volatile situation. And so the last verse we saw, verse 16, it says that a lot of Jews were slain at this place called Chalkata Tzurim. And we explain what that name means. And then it says in verse 17, And the war or the battle was very, very kasha. It was difficult or it was very sore. Or you can say it was harsh, Admaod. It was very, very harsh. On that day, and Avner and his men, they were beaten by David's servants. So the end of the verse gives us a little bit of a result. Who won? It says that David's guys defeated Avner's guys, but let's get to that later. Let's look at the first part of the verse. It says, and the battle was very, very sore or kasha. Difficult on that day. Now, when it says it was kasha admaod, very, very sore, we're not necessarily talking about the numbers, the casualties. And soon the verses will give us the casualties, how many on each side. But what it's really talking about is not the quantity of the war, but the quality of it. Because it's a melchemet achin, because it's brother against brother, that's what makes it kasha admaod. Very, very harsh. It's not your usual war of the Jews against the rest of the nations, the Jews against the Philistines. This is a civil war and it's not a justified one. It's not like the Maccabees fighting the Hellenists or something like that. I mean, that was a civil war. We justify it. We even have a holiday for it. But here you're talking about good Jews from Jews, Torah Jews, whose whole machloket is here. Who's going to rule? Who's going to run the country? You don't want wars like that. David didn't want a war like that. Yoav, David's captain, he is a little more of a hothead and he's ready for a war like that, even though it was Avner that initiated it, as we saw last week. But the point is, this is brother versus brother. We don't want this. This is kasha admod. Now, Rabbi Kahana has in his commentary very interesting 
take on this that it says it was Admaod. It was very, very difficult. Admaod. The same verse the rabbi says shows up in the whole story of Esav and Yaakov, who were also brothers and also had a feud. In fact, you could say it was the first civil war, brother versus brother. Where do we see it? Well, if you go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 27, you have that whole thing going on with the stealing of the brachas that Yaakov takes Esau's bracha, right? He takes the blessing from the father Isaac. He fools him. What happens then? Well, after Isaac blesses Yaakov and he thought it was Esau, right? What happens after that? Well, Esau comes through the door and he expects to get a bracha from Yitzchak. And at that point, Yitzchak realizes that he blessed the wrong guy. He blessed Yaakov instead of Esau. And what does the verse say? And Yitzchak had a tremendous trembling, a tremendous fear. We have that term again. Very, very much. A huge trembling, a huge fear. And Yitzchak said, who is the one that had cooked for me and brought me the meal? And I blessed him. And he will be blessed. That is Yitzchak got very confused because he thought he had just given Esav a bracha. Now Esav walks in. So he realizes it was Jacob that fooled him. And he said, and he will be blessed. And we'll get to that in a minute. Why did he say he will be blessed? But what happens after that? When Esav realized that Yaakov stole his blessing, he says right there, that Esav let out a great cry, a very great cry. So again, we have Admaod. So the rabbi says it's used here because you're also talking about fighting amongst the brothers. And we'll see now where Rabbi Kahan is going with this. He asks, what was the great fear that Yitzchak had? That it said, Harada Gadola Admaod. Why should he be so terrified? Okay, he got duped. But why be terrified? And why say, Gamburuchieh? And why at the same time also say, and you know what? He will be blessed. It's a strange verse. And finally, he asks again, why do you always have this Admaod term used? Very much. Oh, and one more thing. Why does Rashi say on this verse, he brings it to Tanchuma, it says that Yitzchak, when he realized he had blessed the wrong person, he saw hell opening up underneath him. Like, what is that all about? So the rabbi explains it all like this, that it's all because we have sinat chinam. What we have developing here is sinat chinam, hatred amongst brothers, baseless hatred. Because when Esau arrived into the house, Yitzchak suddenly realized, he understood that it was Jacob who took the blessing and he had a terrible fear, Ad he was terrified because he knew now that a lot of hate is going to come out of this story. There's going to be hate, Ad and so he was terrified, Ad because again, he realized at this point that there's going to be a lot of bitterness and animosity and even maybe bloodshed between the two brothers. That is, the minute he realized that Jacob not only tricked him, but he's really tricking Esau too. He's pulled the wool over his eyes. He's kind of cheating him. Or let's say he's cheating him. He's taking the bracha in his place. Esau's not going to let that go. There's going to be hate between them forever. So that's Yitzchak's charada admaod, his terrible fear. The reason he was terribly frightened. Okay, so with all that, why did Yitzchak say, Gamburuchieh? Why did he say after he was frightened, Gamburuchieh, and he will be blessed? So the rabbi says, because the minute he realized that now Esau is going to hate Yaakov and Yaakov's life is even in danger, he wanted to, as they say, put a signature on the bracha. 
that he gave to Yaakov. Just know, I'm putting my chatimalze, I'm giving it to Kushpaka. He doesn't want this thing to become a controversy. So he's saying the blessing, that was for Jacob. That's it, game over, done deal. And he will be blessed. And so why does the Midrash say that Yitzchak ra'agehenam p'tucha? Why does it say that Yitzchak saw hell opening up underneath him? So the Rav says, Because there's nothing more hellish than hate among brothers. That's the hell that he saw opening up underneath him. He saw the Belchemet Achim, the civil war, the hate between those two brothers. That's hell. And of, co- and of course, he's the father. I mean, no father wants to see his kids fight. And all the more so, want to kill each other. Okay, so now let's go on to the next part of verse 17. After it says the battle was very sore on that day. But then it says, And Avner and the men of Israel were beaten before David's servants. That is, Avner lost, and David's servants, they won this thing. And we'll see the score later on. But what does that show us? It shows us that, yeah, it's a Mohammed Achim. It's an ugly civil war. And we hate it. And Hashem hates it. But that doesn't mean that Hashem's not going to orchestrate things through that to give David the advantage. Because after all, David is the rightful king. And Avner is really in the wrong. So Hashem is going to orchestrate events, even through something ugly like this, where little by little, David is going to have the advantage over Beit Shaul. And slowly but surely, he's being brought closer to the Malchut, closer to being king of all the tribes. But it happens through natural means, even if those means are bad ones, like civil wars, David still is inching closer and closer to the final goal of being king through these events. Okay, verse 18. And the three sons of Tsruria were there, and their names were Yoav and Avishai and Asael. And the verse says, And Asael, Kalbaraglav, he was very swift of foot. He ran like a deer in the fields. Okay, so now we're introduced to Shalosha B'nai Tzruya, the three sons of Tzruya. Now Tzruya, that's David's sister. She's a daughter of Yishai, David's older sister, and she had three sons, Yoav, Avishai, and Asael. So they're actually David's nephews, okay? Now Yoav is not the oldest one. Yoav is the most prominent one, so he's listed first because he was David's captain of the host. But the oldest is Avishai, and then you have Yoav, and finally Asael, the youngest one, and the verse says he ran like a deer in the fields. As a matter of fact, Chazal add that when he ran, he was so swift that the stalks in the field didn't bend under his feet. That is, he was like flying. That's how fast he was. Now, what's happening now, though, in this battle between the two houses is that Avner is in the retreat mode. He knows he lost and he wants to get out of there. Either he knows he made a mistake starting this whole thing and he wants out or he realizes he's been defeated, he underestimated David's men, and he's in retreat. So it says like this in verse 19, And Asael ran after Avner. He pursued him. So Asael, he's going after Avner. He wants to kill him. And the verse continues, He didn't turn to the right or to the left. Going after Avner. He is straight ahead chasing Avner down. Now, why does he want to kill Avner? Well, it's obvious. He knows that if he takes out Avner right now, this thing is over. Because everybody knows Avner is the strong guy. He's the one holding up Beit Shaul. Ishboshet is really just a figurehead. So Asel's thinking, if I take him out, David's the king, hands down. So that's why he's chasing Avner. But there's a problem with that. 
Asael is wrong. Because Avner at this point, he stopped fighting. He's retreating. He's going back. And how do we know Asael is wrong? Because the verse says it. Vayirdof Asael Achrevner. And he pursued him. And that word, Vayirdof, from the word Rodef, that's the Hebrew word for a Rodef, somebody who is a pursuer, and you're allowed to kill him. So that's how Chazal know here that Asael is out of line. I know you want to kill Avner. It's very tempting, but you can't do it. But since he's so fast, he wants to go after Avner. His brothers aren't doing it. He is. And there's a couple of reasons. Not only is he fast, he's also the youngest and he's also the least experienced. As mighty as he is, and he's one of David's 36 giburim. We'll see that at the end of the book. He's inexperienced. It's like a rookie, you know, in sports. He could be very, very talented, but rookies, they make rookie mistakes all the time. Okay, back to the verses. And Asel ran after Avner. He pursued him. He didn't go to the right, nor to the left after Avner. Okay, verse 20. Ve'yifen Avner acharav. So Avner turns around. Vayomer, and he said, Ha'ataze Asel? Is that you, Asael? Vayomer, Anochi. And Asel said, Yeah, it's me. Vayomer lo Avner. Nitelecha al yimincha ol al And Avner said to him, Why don't you turn aside to the right or to the left? V'l'echoz lecha echad me'enarim. And just take hold of one of these soldiers. V'yikach lecha et chalitzato. And take from him his weapon, or according to the translation, or his garment. But Asael did not want to turn aside. So what is going on here? What is Avner suggesting to Asael? So the Mitzvah explains it very well. Because somebody who's chasing somebody down and then he gives up the chase at a certain point, that would be very embarrassing if he did that. So Avner said to him, if it's your kavod, if it's because of your honor, you don't want to give up the chase, Asazot, do the following. Swerve off to the right or to the left and take one of the young men's uh, weapons. So it won't look like you've been chasing me. Everybody who's watching will think you were chasing down one of the youths. And take hold of one of the youths and take something from him. And that way, nobody will get killed. And everybody will think that Asael wasn't chasing Avner. He was chasing after this other guy. So what the Mitzudat David is saying is that Avner was thinking like this. It could, it could be that Asael maybe regrets what he's doing. That maybe he's afraid that he'll lose face by abandoning his pursuit. So he's telling him, I'll save you the embarrassment. Maybe you started something you don't want to finish because after all, you don't want to start up with me. I'm Avner Bener. I'm a lot more experienced than you. So he's suggesting to him that just pretend that you intended to pursue one of the youths, take hold of him, take his clothing, take his weapon. In other words, Avner's giving Asael a chance, as they see in Hebrew, to come down from the totem pole, to save face. At the end of the verse says, but Asael did not want to turn away from following him. So it's not working. Avner's trying. Avner's trying to stop this, but Asel's not listening. Okay, verse 22. Avner's going to try again to persuade Asael to give up the chase. It says like this, for Yosef forward. And Avner continued to say like this to Asael, Just turn aside from me. I don't want to strike you to the ground. Because if I do, how will I ever show my face to your brother Yoav? So, you know, you can say a lot of things about Avdeh Bener, 
But this certainly shows his noble qualities. He's really trying to stop this bloodshed. He really doesn't want to hurt Asael here. And he knows he could. And he also knows that if he does kill Asael, then he's burned his bridges with Yoav. And you don't want to do that. Not that he's afraid of Yoav necessarily, but he knows that once he kills Asael, he's burned his bridges. Yoav is never going to stop hating him. It's like back to Esav and Yaakov. Yoav will never lose that grudge. Now, Avner is also a smart man, a seasoned politician, and he knows in his capacity as really the head of the house of Saul, that at one point, him and Yoav are going to have to get together. He knows they're going to be together at one point. He's not expecting forever Beit Shaul to rule. He just thinks, as we said last week, that two kings from Benjamin should rule before David rules. Whether you agree or not, Avner is very smart, and he knows that he'll be meeting up with Yoav at one point or another, but if he kills Asael, forget about it. He'll be burnt in Yoav's eyes. Okay, so Avner, a second time in verse 22, tries to convince Asael to give it up. What does it say in verse 23? But Asael refused to turn aside. And Avner struck him with the back end of the spear, under the fifth rib, which is the perfect spot to kill somebody. And this is horrible. And the spear came out from behind him. And Asael just fell there in a heap and he died in his place, Bimkomo. That is immediately, he just went down. It was over. Okay, let me just stop here, even though it's in the middle of a verse, because a lot is going on. It says that Asael, despite Avner's overtures to him, he's determined to kill Avner and bring David the Malchut. So what does Avner do? He kills him with the back end of his spear. I mean, you got to be very skillful for that. You see, the spear is really pointy on both sides. You have the regular spitz of it, you know, the pointy part where you kill somebody, but even the backside has to be a little bit sharp because you stick it into the ground. So Asael, he's running and he's not expecting Avner to flip it like that, to flip his spear in such a way that he runs right into it. Asael was expecting Avner to at least turn around and face him. Instead, Avner, in a quick and unbelievably skillful maneuver, he flips his spear where the blunt end of it points towards Asael. It's even more unexpected that the butt end of the spear is what's coming towards him. And because he's as swift as the deer in the field, the impact just kills him. And that's why Chazal say about Asael, Lola Kalima Merutz, that the fastest guy doesn't necessarily win the race. Lola Kalima Merutz. Sometimes your speed could work against you. Because look, if he wasn't so fast, you wouldn't have such velocity and such impact, and he might not have died like that. He maybe could have put on the brakes or something, but he really had no chance because he's young and Avner, he's a battle-worn and experienced soldier. Now, I want to, at this point, bring the commentary of the Malbim. He gets into the head of Asael and what he's thinking through the verses. And the Malbim's specialty is the Hebrew language. So look at what it says here. The first time that Avner offers him to say face and just turn to the right and take hold of one of the boys, what does it say? Velo ava Asael. He didn't want to do it. Ava is a strong word. He didn't want to. He didn't want to turn to the side. But the second time that Avner speaks to him in the next verse, he says, listen, just turn to the side. I don't want to strike it to the ground. What does it say? It doesn't say lo ava. It says v'yema'en. He refused to turn aside. So that's a lot weaker than ava. On Avner's first warning, it says lo ava Asel. He didn't want it. He didn't want to turn to the side. Now it says, but he refused to turn to the side. And of course, every word is significant, especially in the Hebrew language. 
why are two different terms used for Asael's refusal not to give up the chase? First it says Loava, now it says Vima En, which is weaker. So the Malbim says it's clear. Asael really is starting to get butterflies. The first time where it said Loava Asael Asur, he didn't want to move away. At that point, he wasn't scared. He's determined to continue. But after Avner's second warning, why should I strike it to the ground? He refused. It says, that's a lot weaker. That means Asael was starting to have second thoughts. He's starting to get the butterflies. He's starting to think, uh-oh, this is kind of dangerous. Maybe I started something I can't finish. And that's why two different words are being used here to explain Asael's refusal to move to the right or to the left and get himself out of this predicament. First, he didn't want to. And then it says he refused to. Now, before I go on, and I know we're in the middle of the action, I mean, Asael is laying there with a spear through his body, but the Rabbi Kahanas has a fascinating commentary over here. I got to read it. Notice it says that Asael was chasing Avner and he didn't veer to the right or to the left. That is, he's going after Avner and not turning to the right or to the left. So Rabbi Kahana picks up that that's exactly what it says regarding the Sanhedrin, that a Jew has to obey the Sanhedrin and not veer to the right or to the left. Same terminology. So the rabbi writes like this, when you stay on that straight true path and you don't veer to the right or to the left, that's a great thing if you're going after something good. That is, if it's a good goal, then of course you don't want to stray from the right or to the left. You want to stay on the straight path and not veer to the side. But what happens when the goal you're going for is wrong? Then you do want to move away from it. You do want to steer to the right or to the left. And so Asael, yeah, it's saying he didn't veer right or left, but the problem is, what's he going after? He's not going after the Sanhedrin. He's going after Avner to kill him. And so Rabbi Kahana writes like this. He says there's a very bad tendency these days for a lot of students to totally rely on their rabbis or what they call their godol, and to follow him through fire and water, never to veer to the right or to the left. But it gets to a point where they don't know how to think for themselves. Pochan Ishiyutzu. He calls it Pochan Ishiyut. That is, instead of worshiping God, he worships this particular person or this rabbinical figure. And in essence, what that does, it prevents the student from being able to think for himself. He's just going after the Rav, not veering right or left. And the Rabbi says, And this phenomenon is dangerous for the student and dangerous for Judaism. Instead of searching out, serving Hashem, what they do instead is serve the Rav, the Rabbi. And if the Rabbi says, today white and tomorrow black, his disciple will go after him. He'll do what he says, no matter what. And he'll be proud of it, that he's not veering to the right or to the left. So the rabbi says that this is misukenet mode. It's very dangerous. And it turns the Jew from a thinking man to a robot. So the rabbi concludes like this. For sure, you have to listen to the psaktin of your rav. He gives a halachic ruling. You got to obey it. But when it comes to issues of hashkafa, that is, um, how do you say hashkafa in English? When it comes to issues in Judaism that aren't simple, like, for instance, things like, the Temple Mount, or what to do with the Arabs, or what's the Jewish view on the state of Israel. We'll call that hashkafa issues. When it comes to those kind of issues, you got to think it through and analyze it. And you have to sometimes argue with your rabbi. 
after you've studied the issue yourself and you might have sources that contradict his sources, you got to work it out with him. Let him convince you. And if the rabbi insists on his halacha grueling and the student thinks that his rabbi may be wrong according to what he knows, then you still got to ask him. You got to nudge him until the rabbi's convinced or the student's convinced. So this is kind of revolutionary what the rabbi's saying here. He doesn't want Judaism to be this thing where you have total reliance on the Rav without thinking things through. And that's why people change rabbis and they change yeshivas. And that's okay because they have sechel too and they can come to a different conclusion. And it's totally legitimate to go from this shkafa to another one if you think that's the truth. So that's what the rabbi's saying here. And what's fascinating to me is that he gets it all from this verse and Asael didn't want to swerve to the right or to the left, which is usually good if you're talking about the Sanhedrin. But here, what's the goal in front of him? He wants to kill Avner. He's not veering to the right or the left. That's nice. The problem is that he's wrong. So it all depends on the goal you're going for. If it's not correct, then just turn, 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 as the song goes. We'll stop here now, and yeah, we're in the middle of a mess, and we'll get back to it next week.